Welcome to another episode of the Pastor's Call podcast. I am your host, Joel Webb. Before we begin today's episode, I just want to thank the sponsor for this show. It is Blue Water Free Methodist Church, where I have the pleasure of serving. We're an intentional community reflecting Jesus to our world. Well, today I'm so excited to be joined by David Wisner. He is the pastor of Redeemer Free Methodist Church down in sunny Florida. Well, David, thank you so much for joining me. Great to be here, Joel. I appreciate you having me on. Well, let's just go right into it. I'd love to hear a little bit about your background and what you felt your call into the pastoral ministry was. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when talking about calling, you know, calling can, of course, it can be unique to each one of us as people because I kind of think God's relationship with everyone is slightly different, you know, you know, just like our relationships with people are are different. Like my relationship with my mom looks a little bit different than my brother's relationship with her, uh, you know, just because we're different people. So I kind of think God also calls and speaks to each one of us in ways that can be a little bit different um, depending on who we are as people. Um, so yeah, my own particular story, um, because our lives are kind of like built as stories that story is affected kind of by the journeys we end up taking in life. And I don't think you can really kind of separate God's call to ministry from our journey and from our story. So for me, you know, I was raised um, in a Christian home up in rural North central Florida. We're about half an hour Northwest of Gainesville, which is where the university of Florida is go Gators. I'll throw that in there, even though it's a rough football year for us. (laughs) But I grew up in the United Methodist Church um, and spent most of my life there. Um, I started kind of making my faith my own um, in my early teens. Um, And that's when I kind of started to question whether Christianity is true, um, you know, whether God's real. And um, I came out of that period of my life with kind of a, with a stronger connection with God. And I had the evangelical experience kind of equivalent to Wesley's heartwarming experience. I had a I had a strong connection with God out of that. And, um, you know, kind of growing up, uh, my church gave me a lot of opportunities to be in different kinds of leadership roles. And, you know, I received a lot of affirmation from different folk that I should consider going into ministry. Um, But I didn't really think my life was going to go in that direction. So kind of wrestled with that off and on. Um, I first started kind of feeling a tug toward ministry probably in my late teens, maybe my early 20s, Um, but I didn't have a good idea of what kind of ministry it should be. Um, I became a youth minister at age 21 while I was going to college. I do not necessarily recommend that for anybody. That was a really young age, and it actually ended up kind of biting me because I wasn't spiritually or emotionally prepared to to handle that, especially while I was going to school full-time, had a job on the side, and not only was doing youth ministry, I was kind of leading the college ministry. I had had a lot of irons in the fire. And um, that kind of led to a crisis of faith for me where I thought God was basically ignoring me um, because I was running on fumes. I didn't really know how to basically let the Holy Spirit um, reinvigorate me. I was giving a lot of stuff out, but I didn't really know how to let God fill me back up. And church kind of became dead to me. So... I entered what was, for a period of several years there, kind of a rebellious stage against God. And um, in my mid-20s, I became a dad, and that really redefined my priorities as far as, like, what I was searching for in a career, um, in my life, too, for that matter. And so 
coming out of the rebellion eventually, um, I was still kind of wrestling with a call on the back of my mind and my heart. Um, but I wasn't yet at a place um, where I could understand what God would have me do with that call. So from from this place then of experiencing call, um, you know, there uh, over over my time talking to many pastors, there's a number of different m- ways. You know, there's like the lightning bolt. You know, very Martin Luther esque. Um, yeah. You know of of being planted with it there's the uh, growing conviction over time you know over time you know it sounds similar to to yourself and then there's also kind of situational you just kind of get oh we need somebody and you're just the right person at the right time or the right person at the wrong time depending how you see it (laughs) um and so how did you uh, kind of wrestle and develop and and grow into that call then as as you were feeling uh the lord lead you in that yeah, um, absolutely. You kind of hit two of the three that um, came to me um, and kind of applied to me there. It was definitely more progressive, kind of um, a gradual call in my sense. Um, but then also kind of situations eventually kind of made things come to a head. Um, so, you, yeah, that's exactly where our calling and our life journeys kind of go together and they kind of inform one another. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'd had an idea that God might be calling me to pastoral ministry, and this is going into my late 20s, um, but I wasn't really super confident in it. And Mm -hmm. being a single dad, I I had to prioritize having a career that could take care of my daughter first and foremost. Mm -hmm. Um, But at that time, I was also kind of, you know, still really wrestling with God and with myself. Um, I'd had a lot of emotional and spiritual wounds that I'd been lugging around for a really long time, going back into childhood, um, that were affecting not only my relationship with God and the church, but Um, really the quality of my life in general, honestly. Um, So I went through a long period of healing um, for a a number of years. And, you know, really in a way, I kind of look back on it, and I think I started deconstructing before deconstructing became a thing. Hmm. Um, You know, deconstructing became kind of a a buzzword into the late 2015, 16, 17, 18 era, but this was for me back in 2005, 6, and 7. And kind of as part of my healing... um, You know, I really longed for a kind of church that basically valued experiencing God and worship, um, which I came to learn is kind of at the heart of what the Eucharist or Holy Communion is all about. You know, when we celebrate communion, um, we believe we are actually encountering God in the elements in a mysterious way. And to me, that became such a powerful and vitally important thing um, because I was kind of asking myself otherwise, you know, what the heck are we doing here in church? You know, Mm -hmm. you know, what's the point? Um, It kind of felt like a social club um, to me um, growing up, like, you know, a bunch of wonderful and loving and good people. But, you know, you gathered, you sang a few hymns, you listened to a guy talk to you for 30 minutes and you went home. you know, what's, what's really the difference between that and like meeting at a rotary club or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. shouldn't it be about growing closer to God, about seeking out ways to actually encounter God. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, my church experience up to that point, like I said, while it had had a, many wonderful and loving people and awesome pastors and um, folks like that, it felt to me more like that kind of a social mm-hmm. club thing. And I didn't have any interest in doing that anymore. And, you know, frankly, that's that's when the beginnings of a stronger call to pastoral ministry began to emerge. 
as you know, I started kind of to realize, you know, the church that I envisioned, it wasn't really available, or at least it wasn't something that I had come across, um, except it, you know, it exists in the Roman Catholic Church, and it exists as Greek Orthodox, um, but I have different theological issues with both those traditions, so I love both those traditions mm -hmm. um, a whole lot, um, and it also exists in Anglicanism, um, and I was actually attending an Anglican church for a while and received a lot of really powerful spiritual and emotional healing from um, that wonderful congregation. Um, but I'd had some unfortunate personal experiences with some otherwise great folks there um, that kind of eventually led me to feel like God was steering me away from that and kind of mm -hmm. back to cultivating um, the beginning of a particular kind of church that he was really birthing in my heart within the Wesleyan tradition I grew up mm -hmm. in. Mm -hmm. So all that to say, um, that was that's kind of my journey. And then within the last year, year and a half, when my family, you know, my mom, my dad, my brother, sister-in-law, um, their kids, um, when they kind of unexpectedly found themselves without a church home um, after some unfortunate events took place um, within their home church, within the United Methodist Church, I kind of saw that as the final nudge from God to, to start a church. Mm. Um, so, you know, that's kind of how I found myself um, planning a church in my hometown. And it's a church that I basically call it's a church for those who are tired of church as usual, hmm. um, which is either, like I said, as a kind of a social club or, and I don't mean this to be derogatory to any wonderful churches that have this kind of a ministry. Often I kind of think the more popular churches is like a combination of a rock concert with a Ted talk, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and again, no slight to churches that do that sort of a thing, but, what I'm kind of after is authenticity, and I think you find that when you stick to some of the tried-and-true methods mm. that, frankly, a lot of Protestants have kind of ignored for a long, long time, you know, starting with regular communion um, as the central aspect of the worship service, mm. you know, the, the focal point of why we're gathering together, um, which is literally, you know, commune regularly in a real and tangible way with God and each other. Yeah. At the time of recording, actually, my dad and I just today were talking about this idea of communion, the Eucharist. Um, and yeah. for those of us, uh, you know, I grew up in a Pentecostal background, no, as low liturgy as you can get, you know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you get this idea, especially in a lot of, you know, people of the Reformation, you know, very low in the way of what does communion mean? You know, oh, it's just a symbol, um, yeah. you know, because we don't want to do the transubstantiation thing. Um, right. you know, but so it's just a symbol and that's all. Um, mm -hmm. but there's, there's something amazing and mysterious that happens relationally with God. So I'd love for you to talk and maybe yeah. develop that because, you know, you can use that mm -hmm. phrase experience God. And then you get the image of kind of the Instagram girl with Jeremiah 29, 11 saying, Oh, I want to experience <laughs> God at worship. But, but like when, when you say that, I can tell you're, you're meaning so much more, uh, then, you know, then just kind of that do it for the gram kind of thing, you know, and there's something yeah. more, uh, there's something much richer and, and something m much deeper than what a lot of people think when they normally say that, especially relating to the Eucharist. Um, mm -hmm. so, so can you just unpack that a little bit, particularly surrounding communion in the Eucharist itself, but kind of unpack that a little bit just so we can get an understanding of that. Yeah, absolutely, man. My pleasure. This is the stuff I get geeked up on. So, um, yeah, and I, I, 
I find this challenging and I'm not sure why. So maybe you can help me unpack this too, as I'm explaining it a little bit, because I find it challenging to get other people excited about, but to me, it's really, really exciting. It's that this idea and, you know, for us as Wesleyans, um, and I'm with now with the free Methodist church, like I said, grew up United Methodist. It's ironic and tragically ironic that a lot of Methodist and Wesleyan circles, despite the fact that John Wesley himself was adamant, adamant, adamant about the necessity of regularly taking communion, he even wrote a, an entire sermon on it, um, the duty of constant communion. Um, he himself took communion multiple times per week. Um, and to him, it was just this powerful way is one of the important things that he would call the means of grace, mm -hmm. the way one of the important regular ways in which God tangibly meets us and blesses us and gives us spiritual sustenance. So, yeah, I mean, we don't go so far as to go necessarily to the Roman Catholic understanding of transubstantiation. But it's not out of that realm at the same time either. It's not literally the transformation into actual, you know, physical body and blood. But there is some sort of an essential essence transfer, kind of like it is a spiritual reality. So in a very spiritual sense, Jesus, God, meet us in those elements. So when you take the grape juice in our instance, or wine if you're in other Christian traditions, and the wafer or the bread, you are sharing in the life of Christ in a special way that you cannot get any other way than through that process of communion. Mm -hmm. um, so, and yeah, I mean, I think part of what people get hung up on, or at least this is what I've kind of seen within my own church a little bit, I think we can get caught up in the roteness of we're going through this communion liturgy one more time. Mm -hmm. And it can, if you're not careful, it can become kind of dead to you. Mm -hmm. But I think anything can become dead, you know, um, depending on just where your heart and where your mind is with whatever it is you're doing. So you kind of have to, you have to want to see God in it. Despite the fact that God is really there, if your heart and your mind aren't right, it can be as rote and as matter-of-fact as anything else. But if you're really into it with your heart and your intention, you know, God can really bless you in a special way through that. Well, yeah, I appreciate you unpacking that, and that's something I um, I myself have been searching and, and finding and discovering a, a, a drawing towards um, – the tradition and liturgy that even John Wesley remained faithfully true to to his dying day. He never stopped yep. be, being an Anglican, certainly. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, maybe we could use a little bit more uh, sacrament in our lives. Um, yeah, amen. And, uh, you know, it's, it's important to have the, the, uh, the scriptural, um, that evangelical essence. That it's, it's important to have that Pentecostal understanding, that reality of the Holy Spirit and, and his working but then also that sacramental understanding of of the holy presence of God and how he meets us in our day-to-day -day mundanity. 
Um, yeah, so, absolutely. And it's, I think it's a both and there. You hit it yeah. on the head. It's not one without the other, but yeah, mm-hmm. it's both. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, thank you for for uh, getting into that a little bit. Um, one other thing I'd I'd love for you to kind of touch on as well. So you're you're pastoring a church. I'd like you to share a little bit about that, and then also kind of some of the the writing that you do because that's how we first connected. Um, but I'd love for you to share yeah. a little bit about kind of the church, um, yeah. what that plant has looked like, um, and 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 the development of that family. Um, but then yeah. also, you know, where, when did writing come into play for you as well? Yeah. Well, yeah. Starting with the church plant. So yeah, I'm co-vocational. So, um, I have my career, um, that I've had for a number of years. Um, and the careers vacillate a little bit. I was involved in supply chain for a long time. Now I find myself working for local government, um, economic development manager for a small town here in North central Florida. Um, so that's my day job and where the majority of my focus is, at least as far as my 40-hour work week goes. So yeah, this is kind of a passion for me is um, planning this church. Um, so it's a totally volunteer gig. Uh, I don't get any compensation out of it um, monetarily or anything like that. And it's totally out of you know what I think God is wanting me to do. Um, and you know we're still very much a fledgling church plan. We've only been about this thing for about six months now. Um, so when you're talking about, you know, highs and lows for different things, you know, the lows are far more prevalent on my mind, um, unfortunately, um, at the moment. Um, cause it's, it's really, really hard, um, as a new church to get people's attention and to even let them know that you even exist. Mm. Um, that you're there and you know beyond that why people should then consider visiting you and you know honestly for my church you know the jury's still out whether it'll end up making it in the end um, because we are we're struggling right now um, to get people to attend Um, and you know truth be told um, it's hard on a personal level sometimes to not take that personally Um, especially in my context where I'm planning in my hometown and I already know a whole lot of folk in the area um, who would probably love this kind of a church, um, but they're just not coming. Um, And I've been reading um, when I'm not reading my books for seminary, which I'm, thank God, nearly done with. I'm at Asbury Theological Seminary, closing in on my Master of Arts and Ministry there. Um, But I've been reading this book that's called The Great Dechurching, um, it's a new book um, out by a couple authors, Jim Davis and Michael Graham. And they spell out that we're living right now in the single greatest shift in religious affiliation in American history. You know, over 40 million people, um, which is 12% of the population, have left the church in the last 25 years. And that is more people, both by the raw number and by percentage of population, then actually joined the church during the first and second great awakenings and during the huge religious boom after the civil war, hmm. which is wild to me, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's the largest religious shift in the history of our, our country. And I, I bring that up to say that, you know, people are given up on church and my church, my vision for what my church is, is it's geared toward those people. Um, people who have either stopped going to church or they're not Christian to begin with. Um, 
But, you know, in a lot of ways, those are the hardest people to attract mm -hmm. to get into a church. Um, and I don't have any hard numbers to substantiate this, but I would think that most church plants that often make it, whether they intend to do this or not, they kind of just take people who had been going to other churches and they start coming to this new church. And that's not at all what I kind of envision this church to be about. So all that to say, man, it's, it's a struggle right now. Um, but, you know, despite that, there's been some really great things um, that have resulted out of the church. Um, one of those has been finding this new denomination, um, this family that I'm a part of, which is the Free Methodist Church, um, coming up on over a year, actually, um, that I've been affiliated with Free Methodist Church. And my experience so far has really been positive. Um, and it's really rare, at least in my experience, to find a large group of people that you feel like you're on the same wavelength with and feels like an actual family. Um, no shade at all to the United Methodist Church, but, you know, they're a big tent. And by being a big tent, they have a wide variety of people and their strengths that are associated with that, for sure. Um, but at the same time, it's easy to kind of feel like the oddball out. Um, so I've been very blessed by the support and love I've received from the FMC and kind of what their vision of living out Christian holiness as the ultimate calling for a Christian um, is, and that's been refreshing. Um, but yeah, as far as my writing goes, when you talk about deep passions, um, writing is one of the oldest and deepest passions that I've had, and um, still probably my favorite thing to do um, as far as like my free time goes. So yeah, I've um, I actually I started going to undergrad um, at into journalism um, way back in school, back a lot longer ago than I'd like to admit. <laughs> um, and I got my AA in journalism. Um, I ended up switching my degree kind of within the last few semesters. So I ended up graduating in political science, but a lot of my training was in journalism. And I worked as a managing editor for a small newspaper for a year. Um, blessed to have received a couple of statewide awards while doing that. Hmm. Um, I keep a blog um, that's not nearly as active as it once was, <laughs> but for a time there was very active. Um, and yeah, I've written, I guess it's, it's a couple articles now that are up on Free Methodist Church's um, uh, conversations page, which is basically a place for where um, the denomination allows folks to talk about theological issues um, in a way that invites conversation from folk. Um, so I've written a couple articles that are up on there. And very recently, as in within less than a month ago, I'm blessed enough to have my first book published. So I'm really stoked about that and would be remiss if I didn't mention that. Um, the title of that one is called Lost the Plot, Finding Our Story in a Confusing World. And um, yeah, in that book, um, yeah, I'd be beyond thankful if people wanted to check it out. Um, it's it's a memoir, um, in large part, kind of mixed with my reflections on theology and philosophy, mm -hmm. um, kind of in the vein of a book that was super popular like 20 years ago, but not as many people have heard about it anymore, uh, Blue Like Jazz, which was a book by Donald Miller in the early 2000s, a kind of similar-esque um, to that one. Um, so yeah, I share a lot of kind of the intimate details of my journey through life, and um, how I've learned, um, sometimes painfully, to process what it all means um, in a healthier sort of way. 
Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, if you read it, you'll you'll quickly see that um, my personality, I'm prone to overanalyze everything that happens to me. So I kind of take the reader with me through my thoughts um, about life, about mm-hmm. reality, um, about love, about perception. And, you know, of course, the central thing throughout all of it is about God. And um, as my good friend, um, Amanda Martinez Beck, who is herself an author that I commend to folk, um, she is an advocate for positive body image. And so she has a powerful um, ministry for that. But she she um, blessed me by writing a forward to my book. And as she put it, um, the book's kind of a lot like a dissection. Um, me asking how I got to where I am, where I'm going, and how I got knotted up along the way. And um, it's meant to be a mirror for you as the re- reader to kind of ask yourselves the same kind of probing questions mm-hmm. um, because really there's usually something very messed up with whatever stories you and I believe um, about our lives. That's why the title is lost the plot. We all kind of live our lives according to stories and that's a postmodern philosophy idea, this idea of a meta narrative you know, we all have these overarching stories that we live our lives according to. You know, for us, it's Christianity, but what does that mean? And there's different flavors of, of course, what the Christian meta narrative is. But the whole idea is whatever these stories are that we believe about ourselves, that we believe about the world, they can have some really damaging and messed up parts to them. Mm-hmm. And the things that we believe about ourselves in these stories often reflect that hurt and that brokenness that we're carrying around. Mm. So the whole goal is I hope this book helps you as the reader to find God's story for you, which is about how deeply loved you are, which is of course really the same story that God has for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for, for sharing that. And that book will, I'll make sure it's linked in the show notes. Um, and that actually perfectly leads in. Uh, there's a Charles Spurgeon quote I love. He talks about living in the Bible but reading many good books. And, uh, you know, we're changed and transformed through the power of the Holy Spirit by God's word. But what have been some of those other good books that you've really enjoyed or been impactful? Yeah, um, there's actually one that I really want to tout that I don't think a whole lot of people have heard about. Um, it's one that kind of addresses um, what I think is a really important theme for us as Christians. And it's this theme of self-deception of basically allowing ourselves to be deluded unfortunately which a lot of christians fall into and by a lot i mean basically all of us to some extent it's a little known book um, that's called the title is i told me so self-deception and the christian life and it's by a gentleman named greg ten elshoff and i think it's it's a small it's a pretty small book um, but I think it's really important because <clears throat> I'm working to make it a key part of my church's discipleship program, actually. Hmm. Um, and I think it's important because we as Christians and as people even, we don't really appreciate how often we're able to lie to ourselves or deceive ourselves or delude ourselves about our actions or things we believe. Hmm. And we do it all the time and not to get two down a rabbit hole, but, you know, it's kind of becoming painfully obvious to many of us in the realm of politics. Um, You know, Christian hypocrisy, saying one thing while doing another, is a rampant and growing thing, and it's doing more to destroy our witness to the world probably than any other single factor, I think. So 
So this book, it attempts to help show us, you know, how we lie to ourselves and convince ourselves to believe things that just aren't true. Um, and just for an example, and I jotted this down so I'd remember it because I thought it was pretty good. The preface, the preface opens by stating, quote, you know, a mother somehow manages not to notice the obvious signs that her son is on drugs. A wife does the same with respect to her husband's affair. All of the evidence is easily available, yet it goes unseen, end quote. And then Dallas Willard, who actually wrote the foreword to the book, and he's a pretty well-known guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's, very, he's been very influential to me, too. And if I were to plug any single author, I would say go read Dallas Willard. Um, he, he writes about this book, Self-deception is a major part of what defeats spiritual formation in Christ. Um, in self-deception, the individual or group refuses to acknowledge factors in their life of which they are dimly conscious or even know to be the case, but are unprepared to deal with, to openly admit and take steps to change. Mm. Quote. So yeah, I highly commend that book um, to every Christian as we kind of seek to try to limit the ways in which we're sabotaging ourselves and our own witness to the world. Mm. Yeah, thank you for, for sharing that recommendation. That will be in the show notes. People can check that out. I'll throw your book in there as well uh, so people can uh, check that out and uh, be uh, hopefully encouraged and blessed by it. So, uh, David, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join me today, sharing your story for, for our listeners, and uh, hopefully there's encouragement uh, for those who are listening. Yeah, I appreciate it, Joel. It's been a pleasure, and I appreciate the plug for the book. <laughs> Hope people enjoy it. You got it. Well, I also want to thank the sponsor for the show. It's Blue Water Free Methodist Church. We're an intentional community reflecting Jesus to our world. And I want to thank you, the listener, for joining us on another episode of the Pastor's Call podcast, where our hope, our goal, our vision is to encourage those who are interested, seeking, pursuing, or already in the pastoral ministry by hearing the stories of those who have gone before. You can find this podcast wherever you're listening and wherever else podcasts are found. Episodes come out every single Wednesday, so please make sure you're subscribed so you know when episodes come out and you can hear uh, some of the amazing stories uh, like David's that we just listened to today. Uh, so go ahead, share this episode with your family, share it with your friends, share it with your pastor, and we'll see you in the next episode. God bless.